Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. I'm here with my colleague, David Tainter. Hey, Josh. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Well, today we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about this big Inspector General's report that came out late last week, and and sort of, there's kind of two news stories right now. There's the... There's the aftermath and the sifting of this Inspector General's uh, report. Which yeah, is all 500, 500 pages. pages yeah, exactly. incredibly long. And then the the growing furor over the family separation policy. Yeah, that's really order. been the dominant story of the week so far. Yeah, it, it, it sort of keeps escalating, and it, and it seems likely to continue to do so, because yeah. just in the last... I mean, there, were, there seemed to be some people who thought that yesterday, Monday, President Trump or Secretary Nielsen might come out and say, okay, that, that didn't work out, we're going to stop it. But yeah. they doubled down. Yeah, no actually. such thing. I know it's interesting. I mean, last week, some of these stories of mothers being kind of torn apart from their children were definitely bubbling up in the news, but it really seems like it's come to a head this week. And I don't know what changed exactly between then and now, but it's just been wall to wall. I mean... Yeah, it's it's... It's hard. To, I mean, I think, I think one thing that happened was that there were news reports at the end of last week that put numbers to it. Yeah. That's that, and I think the big number is that kind of since this policy has been in effect, there is in the neighborhood of two thousand right. minors, uh, children, who have been separated from their families. So that came out, and that obviously made it concrete. Yeah. A, a, a specific number. Yeah, and then yesterday afternoon we had ProPublica publish audio of a right. sort of undis- unnamed, undisclosed child detention center of children calling out for their mothers, and you right, know, just devastating. Well, I think the other the other thing was that uh, over the weekend there were there were visuals. Right. That that, that they actually they actually true, brought yeah. some journalists. Uh, into some of these detention centers. And so all of those things kind of yeah. created a critical mass. Um, but what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about this Inspector General's report, uh, because this is something that has been directly and indirectly a focus of our reporting for two years yeah. now, or maybe it, well, I guess, you know, up, upwards of, of, of two years. So before we do that, let's let's get in a quick word from our sponsor, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. And David and I are both actually li- literally sitting here. It's on the desk. Drinking cold brew, uh, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Born in Brooklyn and brewed in the Bronx, Grady's is New York's favorite cold brew. But you can have it delivered to your door no matter where you live. Their cold brew kit includes everything you need to create smooth, velvety cold brew at home. All you have to do is add water. No French press, no mess, no baristas. You save money, too. You get 36 cups of gourmet cold brew for only $30. That's less than a buck a cup. And shipping's free. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. All right. Well, thank you for that word from uh, the good people at Grady. So let's talk about this this Inspector General's report, and let's and we'll talk first about some preliminaries. The Inspector General is a guy named Michael Horowitz, who uh, by reputation is career prosecutor, uh, not seen as being a partisan in any clear way. Sort of, you know, one of these career Department of Justice people, and he was actually appointed to this role in the last year or so of the Obama administration. So that's an important uh, sort of predicate to the whole conversation. This isn't someone who Donald Trump appointed. He's not some, like, you know, another... Right. It's another, not a Trey Gowdy on a yeah, special committee yeah, sort of thing. Or let alone, or like, you know, a <laughs> Sebastian Gorka or something <laughs> right. like that. Um, right. So that's important for us to to, to start with. And, and this Inspector General's report, let's remember its origins. After James Comey on October 28, 2016, 
was he kind of hedges now. He was he said, I wasn't really quite reopening the investigation, but in effect, and certainly was perceived right. to be reopening. I remember that was a debate among us headline writers at the yeah. time. Like, what exactly do we call this? Thing that just happened. Well, and one thing that I, I think the letter was, I'm not sure if it was to Jason Chaffetz. Right. Or, he definitely used the word investigation yeah, reopened. Absolutely. Back. And I, th- I think it was, I think it was sent to his committee and he's the chairman. So right. it was basically sent to him. So yeah, he hops on Twitter. And I think it was actually, you know, the letter was not public. It was just sent. I mean, it wasn't secret, but it was right. just sent to uh, Jason Chaffetz. So he hops on Twitter and basically like, investigation <laughs> reopened. Yeah. So it was, I would say this, it was seen pretty much from the get-go that this was way outside of normal procedure for how the, the DOJ acts. This was a little more than one week before the election. We know from retrospective analyses of the polls, it seemed to have a big effect uh, on the last week of the campaign. There's at least a decent argument that it shifted the outcome of the campaign. And before the actual election, before the voting, but certainly after the voting, there was this clear sense, why did this happen? Why did James Comey do this? It it breaks with uh, longstanding departmental guidelines. And it wasn't just that. He also did this sort of uh, uh, public criticism of Clinton back in June 2016. When he announced that there weren't going to be any charges, he took it upon himself to say, there's not going to be any charges. But, but you this were, was bad. Yeah, this was really bad, and, and I'm very disappointed in <laughs> yeah. you. And that, again, broke with longstanding DOJ guidelines that if you're not going to charge, you just don't charge. You don't like provide a commentary on, your, you know, you're not charging someone, but they're still pretty bad. So the the origin of this inspector general's review was why did these things happen? And specifically, was it because there was bias against Hillary Clinton? Or even if there wasn't bias, were rules, guidelines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, broken. Okay. Now, there were certainly people who thought that she should have been indicted all along, but that was not the origin of this probe. The probe, again, was into those two actions. Now, let's remember, too, the consensus about these now obviously republicans were overjoyed yeah. <laughs> when that when that when when comey sent that letter but it was pretty widely understood that this was not it it was at least not the norm it was not how it is usually done it is not what departmental guidelines dictate and there's a good argument that it it broke the rules so here's a key thing to remember about that the notional rationale for president trump firing James Comey in May of 2017 was about how he treated Hillary Clinton, right, yeah. which was obviously always kind of ridiculous because the idea that, that President yeah, the, Trump would yeah, fire he would take Comey, some umbrage over yeah, that. that he was not, that he was unfair to Hillary Clinton. <laughs> right. But that was, and this is, this, this whole thing gets so convoluted and incestuous. Remember, uh, President Trump called in Rod Rosenstein and Jeff Sessions, and basically said, I'm going to fire James Comey. You write the memo that justifies why why I'm doing it. Rosenstein wrote this memo, and it was entirely about these two actions that he took, that it was, that it was, um, that it broke departmental guidelines, that it was unfair to Hillary Clinton, that he was insubordinate, and therefore he's being fired. Okay, so that's the origin of this Inspector General's report. But by now, it sort of morphed into basically an investigation into whether or not there was bias against Donald Trump. Right. Now, there is – look, there is certainly, as we have heard, you know, ad nauseum at this point, there were these two FBI uh, employees, uh, Peter Strzok, who was a lead counterintelligence investigator and was – in charge or sort of the the lead investigator for both the emails thing and the early version of the Trump Russia probe. Yeah. He and his girlfriend who is an FBI lawyer named uh, Lisa Page. I'm not sure if both of them are married one or it, it was a it was a it was a secret affair. Right. One of one or both of them were married. 
And they had this text where they clearly thought Donald Trump was an idiot. Yeah. Um, and the inspector general found this one text yeah, so that certainly can be interpreted as like, we're going to get him. Yeah, like, exactly. We're gonna, not going to let him become president. I think there are other interpretations of that text, but any partisans would see that text and would be very suspicious sure. and want to have a very close look at at whether they had tipped the scales or, or And there anything. were others too, right? There were other texts there that were definitely maybe others were not that showed quite, animus. Yeah, not not quite as yeah, I, explicit. I think, the, I think the key is the other ones clearly showed animus, but that is the one where there's at least a very reasonable interpretation that they're saying we're going to take action, exactly, right. our official actions to to make sure he doesn't become president. So now here here's the thing about this about this IG report, this 500-page IG report. I think if you step back, it is clear that the Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, decided to look at the questions that Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions wanted him to look at. And that is basically, was there bias against, uh, against uh, was there bias against Donald Trump? Was there bias against Donald Trump in how the Hillary emails uh, were investigated? And was there bias in in the focus that the Russia investigation got? Now, to Horowitz's credit, by and large, I think he looked at those questions and came away not with the answers that Donald Trump wanted. Um, he has this kind of he he fudges it at the end. He he basically says, and this is this is what first got me interested in the in the report, and you know, kind of something that seemed a little off to me about the report. Late in in October 2016, so the last month of the campaign, according to everybody involved, they're prioritizing the Russia probe over the Clinton probe and the idea that they might need to kind of go back and relook at these emails for the for the Clinton probe. And what Horowitz says is that they could not be confident that the decision, Strzok's decision, I'm not sure it was 100% his decision, but he was obviously a, lead, uh, a sort of a, a driver of that decision, to prioritize the rush, but he couldn't be sure that wasn't the bias, that it wasn't, you know, that kind of like, you know, we'll, we'll be sure he doesn't become president, that that wasn't the bias coming out right there. Now, the problem is to, to, to suggest that uh, that they should have been treated equally that just seems absurd to me because, look, you have at this point, the a decision was made on the Clinton probe in June of 2016. Everybody who was involved in the decision making about the Clinton probe when these new emails were found were very skeptical that whatever was in the emails, that it was going to change the the outcome of that probe. And, and there's a few posts I've done that kind of explain why that is. Um, again, these are the, the to the extent that this was new evidence, it was notional new evidence. And you see in the report a number of the sort of the uh, FBI leadership in, in Washington saying there was very little chance that this was going to change anything. As a matter of just completeness, it's important to kind of go back and and, right. and review and, and ended stuff up being like that. a lot of duplicate emails, right? I and think just... I think it was all duplicate emails. I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure whether that's the case. Obviously, they didn't know that at first, but sure. but the point was that even because of the nature of the legal questions and what they had looked at, they thought it was very unlikely that anything they found in, in those emails was, was going to change anything. So the idea that Horowitz was, was finding it suspicious that the Russia probe was getting more focus than these Hillary emails struck me as, as just, like I said, Absurd. I mean, the the let's think about it. At this point, they are investigating whether a foreign state adversary has either infiltrated or is actually conspiring with a major party presidential campaign, and the and the election is six weeks away. So the idea that they, I mean, this is highly <laughs> pressing, yeah. and the idea that kind of going back and like checking a final box on the Hillary thing should be should be equal to it is just so strange. And and I think what you can see, and this is what we're going to talk about in, in today's episode, that they, again, Horowitz looked at the questions that Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions wanted looked at, and he simply ignored the a whole other set of questions. And I would say 
there, as I said at, at, at the outset, there's really good reason to think that was actually the, those were the questions, the ignored questions were the ones that the that the probe was actually supposed to be about. So what we're going to look at today are a lot of evidence, a lot of it actually from the IG report about anti-Clinton bias in the FBI, particularly in the New York field office. And field office just means the sort of the local office of the FBI in New York. The New York one is obviously a pretty important one. Bias there and how that bias led to actions that damaged Hillary Clinton. Again, this is pretty central stuff. Now, bear in mind what I just said, a good deal of the evidence comes from the report. But again and again, the this this evidence is there, but it just doesn't get examined. It, do you think do you think you know Trump hammering this over and over on Twitter just with, you know, Hillary committed crimes, this and that, this and that, uh, influenced Horowitz? I mean, you know, for such a sort of career guy, what do you think is behind him, you know, ending up sort of looking into the stuff that Trump, you know, his pet issues? You know, I, I don't, I don't, it's hard for me to answer that question. Um, and we should never base our interpretations around outcomes. We should, you know, in in, in this case, the fact that, that, well, it is what it is. Yeah, at this it, point. it is what it is. I think here, here's my answer to that. I think based on my experience of, of having watched things like this over many years, that bureaucratic inertia is a thing and bureaucracies respond to power. I, I think that is really the heart of it. Um, and he, here's an example. I mean, this something that a lot of our listeners will remember. There were obviously a number of investigations after we found out that there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq that was at least the main rationale for going to war in Iraq. And there was lots of evidence that what happened was that the political appointees, the White House, the the, the political echelon uh, in the Bush administration – basically leaned on the intelligence community and like, give us evidence to do this. And to a significant degree, kind of kicking and screaming, they complied because that's what intelligence agencies do, um, at least to the extent of they 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 are responsive to the people that they that they work for. Sure. So the bully pul- the bully pulpit is powerful, basically. Yeah, the bully pulpit is powerful. And again, the the. I think that, you know, one way to look at this is to say that George Bush was president. He decided that this was what the country should do. And he was trying to pull together the evidence. And he went to the intelligence bureaucracy that worked for him as president. And he was, give me all the evidence. And I want everything. So, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of understandable in a way. So what happened, though, is when... When these investigations happened, something very curious happened. It sort of turned into the intelligence agencies set up President Bush, like kind of gave him this bogus stuff, led him to believe there were weapons of mass destruction, and the intelligence community, they were sort of like the fall guys for it. Now, what's important to remember is a, a, a big part of what happened during the Iraq War is that was a a sort of intentional semantic confusion about weapons of mass destruction. It really was widely thought by the U.S. intelligence bureaucracy that Saddam Hussein had chemical weapon stocks. That's not a very big deal in the sense of a big threat to the United States, but that was conflated with biological weapons, nuclear weapons that would, you know, be a very different kind of threat. So, what happened in those in, inspector generals, it, I'm not even sure if there was technically, there were a number of different reports. What happened in those reports, by and large, is that the investigators just looked at the intelligence agencies. And they did end up giving the president a lot of information that was incorrect. A lot of it was about things that they genuinely were just wrong about, but I would say didn't matter that much. Again, chemical weapons, stuff like that. There was other stuff about 
suspicions of biological weapons, nuclear, uh, uh, you know, nuclear research and stuff like that, that they also put forward. But they the investigators tended to ignore how much the people in the executive branch in the White House were demanding this kind of stuff. Right. So again, you end up... So with, that's how it sort of ties together. Yeah. You end up with these reports that do not falsify as far as it goes, but they only ask a certain set of questions. And in that case, it was how, you know, did the intelligence community get it wrong? Well, to a great extent, they did. But by but they also ignored the inconvenient questions, which is why did they get it wrong? And a huge part of that answer was that they, was that the White House demanded the answers that they gave. I think there's something kind of similar here because again, the inspector general looked at the questions that Trump and Sessions wanted looked at. I think by and large, he, he was pretty, um, you know, he produced a pretty solid report based on looking at, at those questions um, that, you know, by and large, bias didn't affect things, blah, 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 blah. But again, he didn't look at this other question, which was equally important. And here's the key thing. As I said, anybody, any any Republican partisan who saw those struck texts would at least be highly suspicious. Um, but we have now had an inspector general comb through this over almost two years and was not able to find any evidence that those that that kind of hostility to President Trump affected anything. And correct me if I'm wrong, Comey had the same team that did the Clinton probe do the sort of beginning of the Russia probe. Is that right? I think by and large. Yeah. And I think Strzok was was like the lead investigator in both. So yes, they were, they were, I'm not sure if it was 100% the same team, but very similar, right. very similar composition of the team. The key thing is not only is there lots of evidence that there was bias against Hillary Clinton, there's lots of evidence that that led to specific actions that affected the course of the investigation and in fact in, uh, affected the the course of the election, the outcome of the election. So here, here, let me ju- just to start with, here is um, here's something I noticed in the in the inspector general's report uh, yesterday, and it's it, it's an explanation from uh, some of the uh, high level people in the FBI about what was behind Comey's decision to give that June 2016 statement, which he he again exonerated. Clinton, or at least said that there were going to be no charges against her, but also sort of laid into her that she was sloppy and reckless and all this kind of stuff. Baker, and Baker is, uh, I believe, the um, general counsel of the FBI at the time. Baker told the Office of Inspector General that there were, quote, multiple audiences for the criticism of Secretary Clinton in Comey's statement. He recounted hearing that FBI employees not involved in the mid-year investigation hated former Secretary Clinton, and had made comments such as, you guys are finally going to get the bitch. We're rooting for you, Baker stated. And if we're not going, and if we're not going to get her on these facts and circumstances, basically it goes on to say, there, was a lot of, there were a lot of FBI agents who hated Hillary Clinton, and Comey was worried that he was going to uh, basically lose their support. That that was that this was going to create uh, controversy within the FBI because he was letting Hillary off the hook. So he was trying to make clear, right. like Hillary sucks. <laughs> Don't let anybody think that Hillary yeah. doesn't suck here. She does suck. Right. We just can't charge her with a crime. Which again, this is is textbook. The fact that there was hostility to Clinton in the FBI was a major cause of why he made that statement. Which again damaged Hillary right. Clinton. So not only not only was it influencing his decision to speak at all publicly, but also, <clears throat> excuse me, in the way that he actually said it, to throw a bone to his FBI compadres, basically. Um, I'm curious, Josh, like, you know, we hear the, the anti-Clinton bias was sort of focused in the New York office. I've always kind of wondered, like, why that is. Is that because she's a senator in the state? They sort of had more experience with her. What is it about this particular group, this office that? I, you know, 
That's a good question, and I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I was, you know, we got a lot of emails over the last couple of days from people who said, okay, get all this stuff, but like, okay, there was bias against Clinton in this New York office. Why? Like, why do they hate Hillary so right. much? Just at a, at, a, at, a, at a basic level. I think one answer to that is just demography. The FBI is... Um, over 80% white. It is, I believe, about 80% male. Um, Senior people in the FBI, by definition, are in their 40s and 50s and maybe even a little little, uh, older. Um, People in law enforcement in general tend to be more conservative. Just demographically, if you take a a white, male, middle-aged demographic who is in law enforcement... They're going to be very conservative. That's just <laughs> sure. anywhere, right? Right. But clearly, there seems to have been something in the New York office, and I don't know exactly what that. I, I don't know the answer to that, and that's what we really would. It would have been great to have that. You know, to Looking have into that, that come yeah. out. So here, here's. L- let's do this. There was. Um, again, the, the the basic. My basic take on this IG report is that it even the report itself shows that there were concerns about this hostility towards Clinton in the New York uh, field office and the decision we just talked about the decision to go forward and kind of like uh, criticize her publicly was at least in significant part driven by hostility to Clinton within the FBI it's in there that the inspector general doesn't kind of say like, hmm, let's find out why that was. <laughs> it's just kind of it's it's just sort of stated in one of the interviews and not and not pursued. There's a lot of evidence that that same bias and the decision to leak on the basis of that bias. So again, it's one thing to be biased. We bias is just another word for opinions, sure. right? And and everybody is allowed to have their opinions, but there are a lot of lot of evidence here that it led to actions so what seems very clear if you if you look at all the information that we know and again lots of information in the report that that decision to send that october 28th letter which clearly had a big impact on the outcome of the election that decision was driven in large part by the fears that the information would leak anyway Specifically, that it would leak out of the New York office because there was a clique there that just hated Hillary. Yeah. Now, again, this matters a lot. It, may, <laughs> you know, it's not just bias; it's 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 bias that led to actions, and it's just it is ignored as a framing question in the report. So let's go th- let's go through a timeline here. Of we're going to go through. Um, Let's put ourselves in the fall of 2016. Uh, it's September, uh, coming off the conventions. We're in the middle of the you know debate season and everything. All the all that kind of crazy stuff is going on. Uh, we don't really know it yet, but the Russia probe is underway. The Clinton email probe has been has has was Receded finished. A bit. Yeah, back in back in June. But behind the scenes, you have this investigation into Anthony Weiner and the fact that he was texting with an underage girl. Yeah. In North- I mean, the fact that th- that that this guy's I know, stuff <laughs> had such a like world historical uh, impact is yeah. Just, it's another like, that's for another podcast. It's, maybe. Yeah, it's just it's so bizarre. But anyway, okay. So they are investigating his. He is sexting again, accusedly uh, sexting again. But now it's with. Yeah, allegedly right. an underage exactly. girl, right. which obviously makes it a legal issue yeah. where it hadn't been before. And so on on the night or night of September 26th or the early morning of September 27th, an FBI agent in, in New York is looking through this uh, laptop of Anthony Weiner's and he finds a bunch of emails between Huma Abedin and Hillary Clinton. Huma is, you know, kind of her... Hillary's right hand staffer, and, and uh, they call him a body person, right. in, in, and Anthony Weiner's wife at the time. Exactly, and a good, good <laughs> salient detail. Uh, not for long, or I exactly, think that right. they had actually uh, announced their divorce uh, a few weeks before that. But yes, Anthony, and that's why that was there. Okay, so that happens on the twenty sixth, twenty seventh. They the 
FBI brass in D.C. is notified of this uh, in first on September 28th. So basically the next full day after they know what's happening in New York, the uh, agents in New York are kind of like, this looks like it might be relevant to the probe. We have to tell D.C., et cetera. Things go from there. Now, what we found out right after the inspector general uh, report came out is that basically immediately FBI agents in the New York field office go to Devin Nunes, the head of the House intelligence community, and basically say, oh, man, we found this new laptop. It's got a lot of Hillary emails. So now <laughs> Nunes announced this on Laura Ingram's show, I think Thursday night, the night, the, the, yeah, sort I remember of the day were, of. Yeah, you tweeted a clip of this recently, right? Yeah. So he... he, he um, he, he says this, and here's the key. He says it happened in late September. Now, September has 30 days. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I looked this up because yeah. I've never been, I've never, I've never remembered that little ditty that you're supposed to remember about right, exactly. that you remember the months, uh, the days of the month. Um, late September. So it only becomes, it's only known to the FBI on the 27th. So basically, within two or three days, <laughs> yeah. they're already talking to Republicans in Capitol Hill. That right. is not legit at all. And what does Nunes say? Remind me like how he describes how he got the information. Well, he said good FBI agents <laughs> exactly, from New York. Right. But the key is he says, he calls them whistleblowers. Now, it is true that federal employees, if they see wrongdoing, have pretty wide latitude to go to a member of Congress. Say, I found this wrongdoing. I'm telling you about it. The problem is that it would only cons- you know, arguably re- be wrongdoing if, there, if it was being covered up. Well, that wasn't even enough time to know what was happening. Yeah. Again, they only told the, uh, they only told FBI headquarters on September 28th. So basically, I mean, maybe even before they told FBI headquarters, they're immediately going. So clearly there are people in the FBI field office in New York who see this and say, ah, reopen the investigation. And let's let's not leave it to chance. Let's go to Devin Nunes, who's a major Trump surrogate at that point. Again, that is totally... That is not legit. Whether it breaks the law is is an open question, but that is not at all w- what is supposed to happen. Now, at the same time, we don't know the exact time, but according to Reuters, they FBI agents out of that same field office also went to Rudy Giuliani, told him what was going on. He later started talking about it on Fox. So basically, we... we um, we know there's this issue of bias in the field office, and it doesn't stay with bias. They find these emails that, again, are maybe notionally new evidence and kick into gear leaking about it to basically to Republicans to try to create a groundswell to reopen the Clinton, uh, Clinton investigation. So back to what is in the IG report. On October 7th, uh, a guy who is the president of something called the Society of Former Special Agents of the FBI, basically a, a, a uh, organization of retired FBI agents, uh, is talking to the associate or emailing to the associate deputy director of the FBI. And he says there's been a, quote, upsurge of or an upsurge of, quote, negative comments about the Bureau's handling of the Clinton email controversy from former agents. So basically he's saying... I'm hearing from the people in our organization, they're all really mad that Hillary was let off the hook. Um, (laughs) There's a lot of, there's clearly a lot of people in the FBI and former people in the FBI who really have it in for Hillary Clinton. Yeah, it sounds like it. And and the FBI is the kind of uh, organization where the, the sort of the fraternity of formers, as they call them, that's a key constituency of the organization. So uh, on the 21st, Peter Strzok has a conference call with a bunch of, you know, sort of leaders in the community of retired FBI agents to walk them through, like, here's what we did in the Clinton case. Here's why we didn't, here's why we didn't indict her. Uh, You know, we're not, we know you hate Clinton, but uh, believe me, this was the right decision. And 
in the inspector general's report. So I mean, look at it. They're, they're they are having they're going to, out of their way. Yeah, to... they're trying to calm everybody down because everybody's <laughs> so angry about that they didn't that they didn't uh, indict Hillary Clinton. So Lisa Page, who again is that FBI lawyer who was in a relationship with Peter Strzok, she was interviewed in the inspector general's report about this call, and she says we got a ton of criticism from the formers about the why we let her off the hook. And why she should have been prosecuted and why if she had, if they had done this, they would have prosecuted her. All those sorts of criticisms. So these guys like like clearly hate Hillary and they're really <laughs> upset that she didn't get indicted. Now, again, Hillary Clinton is just in the in the in a purely descriptive sense, a highly divisive figure. We know this. There are people who love Hillary Clinton. There are a lot of people who just hate her. Um, that is just a fact of the country we live in. Anybody who lived through the 2016 election kn- knows that that is the case, whether you think it's great that people hate Hillary or think it's 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 horrible. Um, so there were a lot of form, you know, former FBI people who really were upset about what had happened. That in itself is, and again, these are retired people. These aren't people even currently serving in the FBI. Uh, and they're certainly not involved in the investigation, but they are in the mix of of, of what the what the FBI is 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 doing, and that is, I think, clearly having an effect. So, um, in the next few days, Rudy Giuliani goes on Fox and basically starts saying, "Something's coming. Something's coming soon. They're going to get yeah. Hillary." And gonna... obviously, this is long before he becomes Trump's personal attorney. But he was on the campaign trail with Trump, and yeah, he was uh, at he, the debates and the spin rooms and all that kind of stuff. A really yeah. key surrogate for 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 now President Trump. So on October twenty eighth, uh, James Comey sends his letter basically to Jason Chaffetz, who immediately tweets it yeah, exactly. and says, "Like you know, <laughs> investigation reopened. Everybody freaks out, either in joy or in right. aghast." Um, now, Comey says throughout, I didn't do this because of leaks. I felt I had an obligation to inform uh, uh, Capitol Hill because I'd said it was closed, blah, 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 blah. Everybody, all of his top advisors basically say, yeah, a lot of it was was about leaks. We were afraid it was going to leak anyway, and we didn't have a choice. Uh, Again, I really encourage you to, to read the relevant sections of the IG report. The IG report basically has a table of contents, and it's broken pretty helpfully up into different sections, you know, decision to send the letter, this, that, and the other. Read that, because it is um, it is quite clear that that played a, a very important role. Why Comey uh, denies that? Uh that's a good question. I think at some level, it's obvious why he would feel it is important to deny that and maybe even denies it to himself because right. to the extent that he did it because of <laughs> leaks. the results are... Well, the, re- the results are, are the ones that he said, you know, made him sick or right. whatever would have made him sick if, right. he, if he thought his actions uh, affected the outcome of the election. But look at it more broadly. If he did it because of leaks, that means he did it not for any substantive good reason, but because the people who work for him were insubordinate and were going to break the law. So <laughs> that's not a good reason. Right. It's not a, do you it's think not there's also like a little bit of a cover your ass sort of thing? I mean, you know, he obviously thought Clinton was going to win as pretty much everyone else did. Yeah. And, and, and he's and pretty there was, clear about that. Yeah. Kind of like we thought she was going to win. So we wanted to sort of. Yeah. And so there's yeah. this idea that if he handled a different way, then you have a Republican Congress that's going to be bloodthirsty and going after him, going after Clinton. And so, I don't know. I mean... Yeah, no, I think... uh, I guess my... I mean, it is very clear that leaks played a very important role, were probably the driving role in in that decision. Um, We all have a tendency to believe what is helpful for us to believe. Sure. if he did it for that reason, it's bad. Because again, that means he did it for no substantively good reason and was driven to it by basically the insubordination of the people who are supposed to work for him. So that is not good. It also, again, and this is the part that I think ring, rings most true, he didn't think Trump's going to win. Right. So the idea, so in a sense, the calculus of the effect on the election doesn't really come in. If you think she's going to win regardless, 
you kind of err on the kind of like, all right, we don't want to have there be any question that like we weren't covering for her. Again, she's going to win anyway. Even that was sort of like, I mean, look, I certainly thought she was going to win. I was shocked when he won. I mean, to put it mildly. Yeah. But it wasn't like she was up by 20 points or something like that. The the polls were actually fairly close. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows? In any case, um, he obviously does that. Now, here's the key. Three days later, um, he meets with Loretta Lynch, who's the attorney general at that point. And it was clear to – it was – clear for both of them, you know, she didn't think he should do this. And they made that pretty clear. She didn't stop him from doing it, which is there's a lot of, I think, very valid second guessing uh, that that's the case. So they're meeting and some of some of this meeting, as described by both of them, is sort of, um, you know, we're in quite a spot. How you hanging? You know, how you hanging in there? That kind of thing. Um, But she also brings up pretty quickly what she says is this problem we have with the FBI field office, that there is this group there that really has it in for Hillary. And as she puts it, a pattern of bias that she says has put us where we are today, i.e. that led us to this point where the investigation's reopened, you're announcing it to Congress. The extraordinary position. Yeah, all these kind of things. So now remember, this is her description of the meeting. And this is what she says he said after she said, we've got to discuss the FBI field. This is an issue. He said that it had become clear to him, quote, that there is a cadre of senior people in New York who have a deep and visceral hatred of Secretary Clinton. And he said it is, it is deep. It's, and he said, he said it was surprising to him or stunning to him. And it was hard to manage because these were agents that were very, very senior or, ha- or had even had timed out and were staying on and therefore did not really feel under pressure from headquarters or anything to that effect. And that time out things, you know, you have a certain uh, schedule, a career schedule in the FBI. Before so, you retire. Yeah, so things. basically you've, you have people, what she, what she is suggesting there is, or what he was suggesting there is that you've got people who, you know, are just kind of hang. They've already reached their retirement point, but maybe they want to see through a few investigations. So they don't really care about anybody, you know, telling them to back off or or to behave or something like that. Now, Comey doesn't really describe this exchange in his description, but he doesn't. He 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 just doesn't describe anything, and. People who are discussed in and especially criticized in inspector general reports as a as a routine, they get to see the parts of the report that are about them in advance. So if if he were disputing this, he would be able to dispute it. And his and his rejection of this account almost certainly would be in the IG report. Certainly, if it weren't, he could say it now. So and. The other thing to keep in mind is Loretta Lynch is career Department of Justice employee. She's speaking to investigators. So all of the stuff about perjury and lying to an agent all comes into play here. The idea that she would have just manufactured this is totally implausible to me. Now, maybe she... It's her recollection. She didn't have a tape recorder running. So it may be inflected a bit, but... It's pretty clear that James Comey said something like this. So you put all this together and you have this, again, pretty widespread hostility to Clinton in the FBI that shows up, A, from just the general population of agents and also retire you know the retired uh, sort of fraternity of former agents and those people are important as stakeholders in an, in, an, in an organization like the FBI you seem to have a particular focus of it in the New York office in September they find these emails which seems to give them a kind of a path in to the Clinton emails probe and a way to restart the case and Everything, all the information we know, the fact that they start blabbing about it to Rudy Giuliani, the fact that they go within a day or two 
and start talking about to Devin Nunes about it. And I mean, I don't want to break out of the sort of the, the newsman thing here, but Devin Nunes is a total <laughs> hack. He's a total partisan hack. He's, I mean, you see everything that has happened with Devin Nunes. Not the, not the guy you would trust to handle this sort of thing responsibly. Yeah, he's not the person who, who is, you'd say, okay, that's, we got to run that through the right channels yeah. and everything. He is a dyed-in-the-wool partisan, and you see that from everything that has happened since President Trump has been president with all that unmasking stuff and trying to... Uh, uh, trying to subvert the Russian investigation. So clearly, as soon as these emails are found, they kick into gear and are trying to kind of tell everybody, you know, everybody in Trump land, this is out there, man. Let's, let's, let's push this forward and get this thing reopened. And then when it comes to are we going to publicly announce that we're going to look at these emails, everything in here, the actual testimony of everybody involved in the decision, except for James Comey, said, yeah, we were worried about that this is going to leak anyway. We had no choice. You put all of this together, that there is tons of evidence that there was bias against Hillary Clinton, and much more important than bias against Hillary Clinton, that bias led to actions. And that and those actions clearly, well, we, we we have that that testimony I mentioned in the beginning of this episode where they said one of the reasons he sort of like criticized her publicly was because he didn't want to bum out a lot of agents <laughs> yeah. who were like, dude, you're gonna you're gonna finally get that bitch Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And again, if you're worried about me, it's like why why is Josh saying bitch? Let me let me tell you the quote again. Here's the quote. He recounted hearing that FBI employees not involved in the mid-year investigation hated former Secretary Clinton and had made comments such as, you guys are finally going to get that bitch. We're rooting for you. Okay. So, so clearly, some, some people who did not like Hillary Clinton, their views played an important role in Comey's decision, again, breaking with all president, to give a sort of a, a criticism – which, again, you don't do that when, when there's no charges. So it had an effect there. It clearly had an effect with pushing the emails thing forward in October and sending that letter. The letter was the key thing. It had a – it was pretty clearly the key reason because the people in FBI – the people in the field office in, F, in uh, New York know about it. They want it to come out. If we don't say anything, they're going to leak it. And then it'll be even worse. Now, have you heard a lot about this in the in the in the discussion of the IG report in the last few days? Not a lot. No, it's, fact, a, it's coming a little bit now. It's bubbling up a little bit now, but I don't see that as really fundamentally a media failure, or not, or not entirely a media failure, because if you look at the report, that is not. That's really not what is even being looked at in, in, in the report. That's not the question that is, uh, th- that's, that's being asked. And just to, if you want to go back to the, the point you made earlier about Trump kind of leaning on the FBI inspector general to kind of look into the questions he wants answered. Uh, just before we came in here to record, Brad Parscale, the campaign manager for Trump's 2020 election, tweeted, Time to fire Sessions and the Mueller investigation. You can't obstruct something that was phony against you. The IG report gives Trump the truth to end it all. So if there's any, if there's any like sort of mystery about how the Trump world is sort of responding to this, that should probably yeah, put yeah. that to rest. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and the key here, the, the, what I come back to is the initial question that led to this IG report was, why did James Comey go out and criticize her if he wasn't going to if they weren't going to recommend charges and why did he send that letter and the IG report says we don't think that any sort of political bias led James Comey to do those things and i buy that i don't think political bias per se did either but it is very clear if you if you decide to sort of just turn over that rock and look at the evidence that systemic bias in the FBI against Hillary Clinton and specifically in that New York office where these emails were discovered in September 2016 
were the reason that those things happened. But again, that's just not the question that he chose to, uh, that it's not what the report is about. And that is just bizarre because the bias against Clinton actually seemed to have led to actions. And that's really all that matters. People can have, I mean, bias is just another name for opinions and people are allowed to have whatever opinions that they want. So, you know, I, if, if you're interested in this, I, you know, I have several posts that I did uh, on this from the last weekend. And I guess the weekend would be like the 16th and 17th of, of June. But even better, go back and read the report because uh, it's amazing what is the crumbs that are in there that just aren't focused on. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's just remarkable. Um, it's, it's, it's wild. One, one thing that came up just before we came on the air, because Horowitz is actually testifying in, in, uh, before one of the House committees right. today, that, because as I said, some people, especially Democrats, are starting to kind of uh, press these points. And he got asked by Jerry Nadler, a uh, congressman from New York City, what about, you know, there seems like there's a lot of bias against Hillary Clinton, too. What, 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 what about that? And what he said is they only looked at five people in the FBI, basically struck Page, the lawyer who, was all, he was, who he was in a relationship with, two agents and another lawyer. So they didn't even look at anything in the New York office. And I think their, I think their rationale was they didn't run the investigation. So whatever bias they had kind of doesn't matter. FBI is a huge organization. Sure, We're not yeah. going to look at everybody's texts. But clearly, I mean. Yeah. So it, there's, there's, it's, it's, that's one of those explanations where there's a certain formal logic to it, except if you look at it, you see, well, wait a second. It really seems like the key actions were taken because of, of the pressure from these people in New York. If that's the case and the actions are what the entire Inspector General report is about, then you probably want to know what those guys are thinking. <laughs> yeah. and they, and they, and they the cell is a short ride, uh, short ride yeah, away, right? Yeah, it's very, it's, 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 the whole thing is very strange and it's, it's, um, it's, it's odd. It, and again, it reminds me a lot of those investigations, those, those Iraq war era investigations. Uh, power has a lot of impact, even for uh, people who, are nominally independent, want to be independent, uh, there are limits. You can only, you, you uh, power shapes people's decision making uh, in, in, in various ways. Uh, on, this is a, uh, on a negative note, but let's, let's end it on a positive note. That, <laughs> you know, that. the positive note is you can get cr- uh, Grady's cold brew iced coffee. Even if you're like in like, uh, Tasmania or Senegal yeah. or um, all you World or Cup, Thailand. all you World Cup fans yeah. out there, Russia. If you're, <laughs> if you're in Russia, you can pro, you can. I, I they can probably. I'm sure they. Can, I'm sure they can get you Grace Cold Brew. Yeah, give it a swirl. Yeah, you can get the bags because there's also they have bottles, but they also have bags. Anyway, uh, Grady's Cold Brew. Get 20 percent off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. So if you're watching the World Cup in Russia, you should. That's, that's like a, a, a small form of resistance. You should send. <laughs> you should get Grady's uh, sent to you in in St. Petersburg. Absolutely. All right. All right, Josh. Thanks so much, David. Talk to you next week. Bye.